Welcome back to the Indirect Vision Podcast, where it is our mission to help dental students and professionals make better decisions through the application of new perspectives and an increased vision of the world around them. Today, it is our pleasure and honor to interview Gemma Hansen. Gemma is a first-year dental student at Midwestern University, and she is originally from Paso Robles, California. She has a BA in biology from San Diego State University. She has worked as an assistant in both general and endodontic practices and has received the highest grade award, which is also known as Top Gun, in almost every waxing practical so far. She is interested in cosmetic dentistry and endodontics and in her free time enjoys racing motorcycles, painting, and jet skiing. Thank you for joining us today, Gemma. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, we also have our co-host, Andrew. He's joining us today. How are you, Andrew? Hey Kyle, how's it going? Excited to be here. It's good. Okay, Gemma, so we like to start off all of our episodes by simply asking, why did you choose dentistry? Tell us a little bit more about your story. <laughs> oh man, this is going to take up the whole podcast. I don't know if you guys want to know that. Um, <laughs> I would love to tell you guys. So I'll try to keep it kind of short and sweet. Um, but basically, I'll start off by saying I actually grew up on the island of Java in Indonesia. So good old third world country has third world country dental care there. And unfortunately, I needed a root canal by the time I was about 13 years old. Um, And I had to visit about, let's see here, four different endodontists over there in Indonesia, traveled hours to get to each one, and each one basically screwed up my tooth more than it was before. And ever since then, I basically just came to a realization where I don't want anyone in the world to know how bad dental care can be. So from there, I started interviewing dentists. I started doing my research and everything. And it just kind of grew my passion to be the best dentist that I can and to give people the best dental care and basically have their worst fear just being the shot, which is a little pinch and not knowing anything else that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's a crazy story. So, um, it's crazy, yeah. What, 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 what? Um, sorry. What, what actually brought you guys to Indonesia? Like, were you born there, or were you there temporarily? I was born in Paso Robles, California, good old wine country, and then my church actually sent my parents over there um, for work. So my mom did counseling and ministry in prisons over there, and then my dad basically kept us afloat with his software business. Mm-hmm. And you were there for how long? Eight years. Eight years, wow. Yeah, quite yeah. A long time. Eight years old till I was 16. Yeah, and you got to experience all of the, the dental care over there, and that inspired you to, to be a dentist. That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it was awful. <laughs> I would definitely would not recommend going to a third world country for any dental care. A lot of people actually end up doing that, too. They drive down to Mexico. Since we're in Arizona, a lot of people just drive down to Mexico, and then a lot of dentists just end up fixing the work that some of the dentists in Mexico did. So, Yeah, I know. A lot of patients that we had over at the um, endodontist practice 
went to Mexico and had to get a root canal done over there, either because they were there on vacation, had an emergency root canal that needed to be done, or they're just trying to save money. And quite a few of those patients who ended up at our practice had to actually get the tooth extracted just because it was so botched. So very, very (laughs) weary of um, going down to Mexico um, or any other country to get stuff done. However, there definitely are some dentists um, down there who are well-educated um, and do do a good job. So it's not majority, but I'm just always very, very wary of it. Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Gemma, another question we'd like to start out with is you're a first-year student at Midwestern. So why did you end up choosing Midwestern? I chose Midwestern mainly because of how the whole school portrayed itself. They just seemed like they really, really want us to succeed as a whole, not just as a dentist, but as a person. Um, And I really got that vibe from, honestly, every single one of the faculty there, as well as Dr. Dean Smith. Um, He really tried to get to know us while we were there at the interview. And I hadn't experienced that at any other school that I went and interviewed at um, or had visited in the past. And I just really loved the whole vibe um, and the respect that they gave you. Even though you weren't in dental school yet, they still treated you like a student doctor. um, And they still gave you that respect that you deserve, honestly, with how much we've been working hard to get into dental school and to be here and whatnot. Um, It just seemed like they really appreciated us. And it was a pleasure, like a genuine pleasure to have us there. Um, Instead of just trying to sell their school, they wanted to know what we wanted and try to do as much as they can for us as students. Mm -hmm. That's true. I definitely felt that myself in the interview process as well. Now that we're about three-fourths of the way through the first year and you've had the experience to be at the school for a number of months, how well do you feel like they lived up to that portrayal that they initially put out there during the interview process? I think they've gone above and beyond. Honestly, I couldn't ask for a better experience. Um, in dental school than here just because I I had no idea that um, the faculty were actually going to, (laughs) um, I mean, this is kind of like sad to say, but not really, but they really try to get to know you as a friend, which is interesting to me because I've never really had that relationship where we're on the same level and they kind of make you feel like you were at their level, even though we're only first year dental students. Um, and that is just like super shocking to me because I have, you know, faculty talk to me about, you know, their practices or how I'm going to be doing that in the future and whatnot. And get to try to know you as a person too, which is really encouraging. Um, and try to tailor their teachings to you instead of to the entire class in general. So they really have lived up to what I thought the school was all about, which is being very personable um, and giving you the amount of practice that you need and having fun with it. They really encourage, encourage you to have fun and to love it instead of just beating it into you, 
which I'm sure some people did think because, you know, they hated waxing or they hated class threes or whatever, but <laughs> um, they really tried their best to make you enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I just have a personal story about you, Gemma. One time I name dropped you to one of the faculty bench professors at my bench, and he apparently was your faculty bench the quarter before, and he said, oh, Gemma, Gemma's a superstar. Oh, gosh. I feel like I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think you do, too. But, Gemma, so you are basically the best waxer in our class, You and you have proof of it, too, because you've, you've received the highest grade on the majority of the waxing practicals. Um, can you tell us just... How did you get so good at waxing? Um, it's, it's honestly kind of a hard question, but I feel like what really allowed me to excel um, in sim lab and, and waxing was just the mindset of enjoying it and also remaining very humble in the process of learning how to do it. So, for example, um, I do have an art background, so I do love to paint, I do love to sculpt, things like that, carving as well. So I already kind of had a little notch up on waxing. However, the first project that we had, which was, I think, number nine, we had to do a facial um, wax up of it. I basically acted like I didn't know anything about it, which we really didn't know anything about. Um and I asked as many questions as I could and really got different perspectives from different faculty as well and really tried to take what they told me, even though it seemed just ridiculous or bizarre. For example, doing the micro-melting, so taking an instrument like a PK or whatnot and getting it super hot and then touching it to your wax up to make it smooth sounded so bizarre to me. I was like, that's just going to make a hole in it. Why would I do that? But I did it anyway, and it turned out to be one of the best methods that I had used in order to smooth things or even add wax to it. Um, so just basically remaining humble in the learning process and also being confident in it will turn out good. So it looks really, really bad at first, of course, and you can't get hung over that. Um, you just have to remember that in the end, after each step that you do, it will turn out good. And have that positive mindset while working on it. Um, because the moment that you get stressed out or the moment you start looking at all the flaws on it, that's where you really start to decline in your ability to do it just because you're not having a good time with it. And that's kind of how, what I believe and why um, I did well in that area. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's so true what you say about the importance of, uh, you know, pretending like you don't know and asking those questions in the beginning, because while you have that art background with the skills and the dexterity that you need, really what we're we're learning with this waxing concept is dental anatomy and the, really the nuances and the small little details of teeth that the professors are really there to to help us see. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you with that one. Um, 
I did learn like, yeah, this is actually very, very important for our careers. At first, like, well, we're just waxing teeth. We're never going to wax a tooth ever again. So people were kind of lighthearted about it, didn't really necessarily want to excel very well in it. However, now that we're doing um, like occlusal preparations as well as fillings, we really need to know that anatomy and how to work it into our fillings. Um, and then further on when we do crowns and onlays, inlays, things like that, we actually really need to understand the anatomy. And I think the waxing helped me tremendously with that and knowing where different grooves or fossas or even cusps needed to go and where the um, occlusion needed to be, I could owe it honestly mostly all to the waxing and to really being um, diligent with the waxing and paying attention to the anatomy. Mm -hmm. So how much of your natural ability in waxing would you say came from your art background and how much did you actually go in and practice and work on it after hours? If you had to maybe allocate a percentage to natural talent and practice for yourself personally, where would it be? And then for somebody who maybe doesn't have the wax, the art background, um, what ways would you tell them uh, that they could improve? I, I want to say for me, it was about 50-50. So 50% um, my artistic background and then 50% practicing. However, after helping a lot of my friends and a lot of the students in our class um, with their waxing, I think majority of it would go towards practice, um, maybe about 80% just because even more um, just because, for example, I had a friend um, or someone who didn't do very well on their first waxing practical, um, and they were really distraught over it, and so they came to me for help, helped, and so I helped them with it, and they really took hours and hours of their time um, to really learn what to do and different methods and things like that, and the next waxing practical that they had, they got a very high A on it. It was just night and day. So I think the amount of practice people put into it slash having that motivation to do well would be the majority of the reason to do well. Or how to do well. So Gemma, when are you going to make an online course on how to get a percent <laughs> on your waxing? I know, right? You guys would subscribe. My waxing tutorials that help me pay for dental school. No, I'm just kidding. I have Gemma so many times for help, right, Gemma? <laughs> <laughs> you have, yes, and I'm more than happy to help you all the time, Andrew. But Gemma, every time I've gone to you for help, you give me a step-by-step -step method. How do you develop such clear methods? And can you talk about the benefit of actually developing a method and doing a method? It's so my methods are different for every tooth and different projects and whatnot. But I would say I'm able to develop the method um, based on the practice that I have. So the first tooth that I ever do I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> really absolutely no idea. 
Um, and I'll take more time than I need to just to see what works, what doesn't work with that tooth. Um, so that kind of helps me develop that method. But also I tailor my instructions according to the person who asked me for help too. So I always have people bring me their work. Like you, for example, you brought me your work and you're like, hey, how can I fix this? Or this is my tooth from before or whatnot. And then I can see what they're really struggling on or what they're really good at. And then from there, I can kind of tailor the methods to them to see what they can do. And sometimes the methods end up changing a little bit, you know, mid um, instruction, um, just according to their feedback that they give me. Um, like, let's say they're like, oh, well, I'm just like not very good at smoothing or how do I do that? How do I angle the instrument? Um, and then I can even tailor it further to them um, and say, hey, OK, you need just a little bit more practice with the actual instruments or you need a little bit more practice with the actual method or building up the tooth or whatnot. Um, but yeah, honestly, just from practice and figuring out what are the big points on each of the tooth. So for example, um, let's say the cusps, okay? So we're building up the cusps on number 14. Um, what part of that tooth is gonna be a higher percentage rate that is going to be according to your grade. So you're going to focus on those cusps instead of you're focusing necessarily on, let's say, the facial um, or, I don't know, something else like the interproximal. Like there are parts where you need to put more of your time and there are parts where you can actually just kind of um, get it okay and it'll be good enough, basically. So it, it's just, it's very tailored to each project. So it's kind of hard. Mm -hmm. So just really having a strategy um, and tailoring it to the specific needs of the person and the project. That's really cool. Yeah. And I feel like I've learned to do that from our faculty because I watch what the faculty tells other um, students on my bench or tells, honestly, just the other faculty about doing um, different strategies and such. And I see that they never use the same words or they never use the same methods for each student. They really tailor them to each student. And from hearing them and um, observing them, I've been able to kind of take what they're doing and try to tailor it to the people that I help. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, well, Gemma, if it's okay with you, we are gonna switch gears now and talk a little bit more about um, your experience assisting so you were an assistant with a general dentist and also an endodontist. Could you talk to us about the differences between the two and maybe which one you liked more and why? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I started off in a general practice um, through school and whatnot, um, built my way up, started doing recall. Um, so basically scheduling patients for their hygiene appointments and then moved my way up to assisting and front office and basically everything in that office. Um, actually became um, a co-office manager there at the practice um, and then later moved to endodontics. But at the general practice, I loved the variety that was there. 
Um, and I love the relationships that you built because at a general practice, you're able to see your patients every six months, sometimes every three months. Um, and they come in, you're able to discuss with them, like, how is their life and what they're doing and whatnot. And you really build those relationships and you become friends with them. Um, and that's what I loved the most about general practice were those long lasting relationships because we had patients for, you know, years and years and years. Um, and I love the variety again, not knowing, uh, what you're really going to be doing that day. Um, you could be doing a denture, you could be doing crowns, you could be doing Invisalign, you could be doing a whole bunch of different things, um, which was exciting. And it kept it, you know, going fast and everyone was on um, kind of like a little roller coaster. It was fun, but it was busy. And I did enjoy that, um, which is different than at the anodontic practice that I was at Um People think, okay, you're just doing root canals. It's the same thing every single day. Um, but I learned very quickly that it's not. You are doing root canals, yes, but each root canal is very different. There was never just an easy um, by-the-book root canal that we did, every single one was completely different. We had to change methods. We had to um, use different instruments. The patients were all different. Um, we had to change the way that we did the root canal according to their age or medical conditions. Um, there was a lot you had to pay attention to um, in the specialty world, and I really enjoyed that because it wasn't very, I guess, surface dentistry. I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but you had to have so much knowledge just in the medical world as well um, in order to treat your patients. Um, for example, we had patients who um, had osteoporosis and so they would take bisphosphonates. And bisphosphonates, you, if the patient is on them, you cannot perform really any invasive dentistry such as surgeries. Um, we did do surgeries there at the endodontic practice. They're called apicoectomies, which are the main ones where you would remove the apex of the root um, of a tooth or of several roots of the tooth in order to get rid of that abscess and the infection there. Um, and you would go through the actual jawbone um, to remove it. And so if we missed that the patient was on bisphosphonates, it could actually lead to necrosis of their jaw and become a huge deal. Um, so that's an example of really having to pay attention slash knowing the medical benefits um, or even what can happen um, if you miss that. So hmm. I love that. And, and now that I'm in Daisy, so our basic sciences, where we're learning about, let's say, like your foot or your ear or something. And of course, all of us are sitting in there like, why are we learning about this? I don't have to know all of these things. But after being in the endodontic world, I actually did learn a lot just by being there and all the amounts of um, basically diseases and things that we had to know, like Ehlers-Danlos. We had to know that because we had a patient come in 
she's very young. She was in her 30s. And I took a panorama and a combing CT of her. And she was missing about half of her teeth. And I was like, what is going on? She's so young. How is she missing all her teeth? And it was so easy for me to judge her from that panel and be like, oh, she's not taking care of her teeth. Like, I can't believe this. You're so young and you're losing all of them. And when we sat the patient back in the chair and I went to grab the doctor, the doctor asked me why she was losing or she didn't have all her teeth. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe she's not taking care of them. And he pointed out on her medical history that she had this disease. And that was why she was losing all her teeth. And that's why she's here because she wants to save as many as she can until she loses them because she will with that condition. And so that kind of opened my eyes to the amount of knowledge that we as dentists actually have to have. And it's not just revolved around your teeth. You have to know way more. Um, we have to actually really pay attention to these systemic diseases um, that patients have because it'll affect their treatment plans and it'll affect the way that we do things for the patient. Even if the tooth only has, let's say, a two-year lifespan left, we would save it on that patient because she's going to lose her teeth anyway. She wants to be able to eat and enjoy her life as much as she can until those two years are up or whatnot. So it really brought into perspective um, how important these basic science classes are to our profession. Hmm. That makes So you're saying that basic sciences are actually worth our time right now. <clears throat> that's good That's good to hear as I've been studying for basic sciences this week, or I plan to. Um, so Gemma, tell us, how many root canals would you do a day at the endodontic practice that you worked on, that you worked in? And also, how many of the root canals were due to dentists messing up and referring them to you? I would say about 70% of the root canals that we did were retreatments. Um, so that just brings into perspective how difficult root canals are and how much actually goes into them. Um, I'm sure anyone who has worked in the specialty world understands basically how precise and how accurate you have to be with everything. Um, you really can't mess up anything. Um, their percentages have to be right of the solutions that you use or something would go completely wrong or the root canal would fail. Um, so I used to think that really anyone could do a root canal and it was a simple procedure, which I mean, I'm sure lots of people can do. However, if it's not done correctly, um, it could go wrong. <laughs> and the patient will go through several retreatments of that tooth or have to get it extracted, which we saw quite a few times because the tooth had been perforated or the tooth, um, they had created their own canal in the tooth or they had missed a canal, which was extremely common. I would say about 50% of those retreatments that we did were due to a missed canal um, of the tooth. So I highly recommend going to a specialist or going to someone who has had the extra training in doing the root canals um, just because I learned how 
intricate the teeth can be and how intricate those roots and the canals can be as well. Um, and it's good to be confident and you have to um, in order to do a root canal because you can't give up. And there's a lot of technique that goes into them as well. So it always kept it very interesting um, instead of boring. Like a lot of people do think the root canals are boring, which is totally fine. <laughs> I won't be offended. But um, I just thought they were very, very interesting just due to how technique sensitive they were and how different each and every canal or tooth was. So, yeah. Wow, that is fascinating. Um, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I definitely learned a thing or two about endodontics here. And I feel like maybe we can even skip our endo class next year. We, we learned it all from you, Gemma. <laughs> well, absolutely not. Don't ever skip a class. <laughs> uh, so are you planning on specializing in endo? Is that in the books for you? I am definitely keeping that page um, flipped open. So I love the specialty world. I love how you don't have to sell anything. They're coming to you because they want to and they want to get out of pain. Um, and I love the instant gratification that you get um, from those patients after the root canal. They're just so grateful because um, the worst ever is tooth pain. I mean, we can always told people this, but it can make a grown man cry. And it will make a grown man cry just because it's so awful. So I do love getting patients out of pain, having that instant gratification, um, having that patient actually be super grateful for you and understand um, your job and what you do and, and how you do it. So I do love the anodontic world and I'd love to keep that open um, and try to specialize if I can, but I also have never actually performed a root canal. So I don't know if I'm going to go in and try to do one and absolutely hate it. So <laughs> we will see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome. Um, you're definitely doing great things and we obviously wish you the best in those plans. Um, just to end our episode now, we like to always ask the same question, and that is a, a reflection question. So if you could go back to the beginning of your journey here and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Hmm, that is a great question. Man, you actually make us think during these podcasts, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, the advice... I would give myself would be to really take in and listen to people um, about their advice that they give you, honestly. And even sometimes if it's hard to hear or you don't want to do it, um, it actually is very important. And they're coming from um, experience and they're coming from basically life lessons. And so to really take to heart what each and every person tells you, um, just because you know they're telling you this to help you, they're not telling it to you to hurt you or whatnot. So to really listen, pay attention, and act upon the advice that they give you. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Gemma, for being on our show today and for sharing your knowledge with everyone. Uh, we really appreciate it. And you know, we hope you have a great rest of your day. Hey, thanks, guys.